One of my favorite things over the Christmas holidays is getting to play with our one-year-old named Lucy. At least some of you have met her. She's just a joy. There are many things that are difficult about being a parent, and there's some things that are difficult about being a parent to Lucy. But over the holidays, I was just filled with joy being off of work and getting to spend more time with her. Just one look from her eyes with that big grin on her face just makes... Uh, the day seemed like everything's going to be okay. <laughs> no matter what's going on that week, one look from Lucy just fills me with joy. And I'm sure y'all have experienced that too over the holidays. That gift that you were hoping you'd get, or that you didn't think you'd get, and you got, and you were just really thankful. I mean, this is really cool. I, I really wanted this and I got it. Or maybe it was some food that you got to have uh, filled you with some joy. Maybe it was that you made it through the Christmas holiday in one piece. You're even at church tonight. It's a reason to rejoice. And of course, rejoicing isn't something that Christians experience alone. People all over Birmingham, all over the world, experience joy for different things. The scripture even says that God gives us wine to gladden the heart of man. Though man abuse it, God gave it to us just to gladden our hearts. But the scripture talks about an even deeper joy. The joy that the world experiences is kind of like window shopping. You know, where you walk down uh, the street in Homewood, and you get to look in the window at all the neat stuff. But you don't really get to go in and grasp it. It doesn't become yours. And the scripture says that's how the world experiences a joy, from a distance. They can't grab hold of it. And so in the passage tonight, I just want you to think about, is there a deeper joy that's found only in God? Is there a deeper joy that's found only in God? And is God trying to teach us to remember that he looks on us, that we might find deep joy in him? So with that in mind, please hear the scripture tonight. This is from Luke chapter 1. Verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I said that perhaps there is a deeper joy that God wants us to consider tonight. I want to look at three things briefly, uh, remembering and teaching and looking Remembering and teaching and looking. 
If you look with me in verse 47, the passage begins, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So the first thing to notice is that Mary's joy is not just about the fact that she has become pregnant. Mary's rejoicing over the fact not just that she has become pregnant, but over the fact that God is announcing that he is her savior. And not just her savior, but the savior of the whole world. It's easy to miss the broader context of this passage and think it's just about how happy Mary is to be pregnant. But in fact, Mary has gone to visit Elizabeth Because God has come and told Elizabeth and told Mary that you're going to become pregnant because there's this great story of salvation that's being revealed in Jesus. That I'm doing this great thing, there's this great mystery that has been kept hidden and it's going to be revealed now through you, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, and now through Mary. Mary calls God her Savior here in verse 47 because God has revealed to her that he's going to come and send one to be the Son of God. It says earlier in Luke chapter 1, I know it's not in your bulletin, but God announces, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom There will be no end. And so what Mary is doing is she is remembering what God has said and what God has done. People that are much, much smarter than me who study this passage say that it's like a patchwork of Old Testament passages. That if you know Greek really, really well, you can see that what Mary is doing here is she is remembering possibly dozens of Old Testament passages. She's Jewish and has learned the Old Testament since she was a child. And she is taking these Old Testament passages and weaving them together like a quilt. Because in her memory and in her mind is the word of God. And this prophecy that's now being fulfilled in Jesus. And what God is calling us to to face and to draw our attention to is to remember his promises. Just like Mary did. To remember what God has said in his word and what he's revealed. That there's this great salvation that's being accomplished. Because if we don't remember the, the data and the information, we're going to miss the deep joy that God has promised us to find in himself. It's so easy to think of joy as simply an experience like, I had some really good brownies that my sister-in-law made this morning and they were good and maybe that's joy. Just, just, you know, tasting and smelling and seeing different things. But what the scriptures call us to is to engage our minds and our brains about what he has said in the scriptures. And when we get the information right and the data right, it actually fills us with joy. I was camping, um, just a few weeks ago in Denver, Colorado, one day before we have training. Uh, for RUF in Colorado, I was crazy enough to decide to go camping one night. And my mother calls my wife in tears about the fact that I had gone camping, apparently in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, and I was going to get eaten by a bear probably, or who knows what was going to happen to me. My mother didn't have the information right. What she didn't know is that I was 10 minutes from a Starbucks. Camping in Colorado. 
And because she didn't have the information right, she suffered because of it. And the same is true of the promises of the gospel. That if they're not in our minds and in our hearts, we're going to miss them. They were in Mary's heart and in her mind. And I think this is the question that God wants us to consider first, is that what's in your mind? What do you remember? What does your mind go back to when you kind of run out of things to think about? Um, Sometimes we worry about our children. That's sort of what we remember all the time. This thing or that thing about our children. Um, We remember sins that we've committed. We're weighed down by shame. And when, when we can't think of anything else to think about, we just feel ashamed about this sin or that sin. We worry about money. How much is in our bank account? It's what fills our minds, right, in our hearts. That's what we, that's what we just sort of, uh, it's, it's the song that we play over and over and over in our minds. And what God is calling us to is to remember Him. And the fact that He sent His Son to die on the cross. To become human with blood and bones and sweat and hair just like you and me. And to rise from the dead for our salvation. Maybe that means this year you commit yourself to memorizing one verse of Scripture. You've never done that before, or you did that when you were 10 and you haven't done it since. But however you can get the promises of the gospel into your mind and into your brain, that's what the Scripture is calling us to. Because we're going to remember something. That's how God built us. So that's remembering. What about teaching? Look in verse 48, where it says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations were called me blessed. There's this reoccurring theme in this, in this passage about the humble estate that God has found Mary in. If you look in verse 52, it says, He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. In verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things. So there's the hungry, there's the poor, there's the humble. This passage is all about God giving joy to those who we wouldn't expect to have it. Giving joy to those that the world would look at and think, your life probably isn't very fun. You don't have a whole lot. There's not much in your LinkedIn uh, you know, profile. You don't have a lot of friends on Facebook. There isn't a whole lot of money in your bank account. You probably don't have a lot of joy, do you? Because you're poor, and you're humble, and you're hungry. And what God is saying is that he has turned that whole system upside down. That it's in fact people like Mary that he has come to give joy. And look at, look at the very beginning of, of the song where it says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Despite Mary having nothing... We would say, by worldly standards, Mary has nothing. She's not married yet. She's already pregnant. She's not wealthy. Uh, Her and her husband will be so poor that when they go and offer sacrifices in the temple, they have to take the poor option. There was a rich option and a poor option at the temple about what sacrifices you offer. And God is saying, do you feel like you don't really have a whole lot? 
Well, you're the kind of person that I came to give deep and abiding joy to. You're the kind of person that might magnify the Lord and rejoice in God. When I was in high school, I considered myself really, really intelligent and smart. Um, This isn't going to be Adam's confession time, but... My junior year, you know, you take the ACT and the SAT, and all my friends are getting these really high scores, and I can't wait to see how much higher my score is going to be than my friends when I take it. And I bombed it. I mean, bombed it. Not because I didn't really try during the test. I I think I tried pretty hard, actually. But I didn't do well on it at all. And on an earthly level, you might say, well, you know, Adam, who cares? Life, you know, move on. But God used that moment, my ACT score, my junior year of high school, to convince me that I wasn't as cool as I thought that I was. And then eventually that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior. And then eventually that Jesus had been gracious to me and died for me and loved me, despite the fact that I was full of failures and flaws and shortcomings. God teaches us about the joy that he's promised us by sending things into our lives to humble us, doesn't he? Um, Sickness and sadness and difficulty with family and children and job loss and countless flaws and shortcomings and failures of yours and mine that I'm sure have been made manifest over the Christmas holiday. It's those kinds of people experiencing that kind of humiliation, really, that God has promised to give deep joy to. The rich won't find it. The rich will leave empty-handed. But the more we humble ourselves before God, and it's a fact that it usually takes God kind of hitting us over the head with a two-by-four to get our attention, God, maybe I should look to you for joy instead of how much is in my bank account. God, maybe I should look to you for joy instead of sex. God, maybe I should look to you for joy instead of how great my family is or how successful I am at work. It never would have occurred to me to to look for joy in God had he not taken things away from me. And so the scripture calls us to, to remember and that he's teaching us Where this joy is to be found through humiliation and by humbling us over and over and over again. But finally, um, there's something about looking that I wanted us to see. If you look in verse 47, where it says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. Throughout the scriptures, when God's people are suffering, when Israel was in Egypt in slavery, the scripture says that God looked and he saw their slavery. And in this passage, Mary cries out in this song that God has looked upon her. When God looks at sinners, it's not just an ordinary look. It's not just an ordinary seeing. But he looks with the intention of mercy and grace 
and love. That we have his attention as a loving father who loves his children, who cares for them. He would give his only son to die for them. And that's the look that Mary has received from the living God. And that's the look that God has promised to give all of his children. If we will look to him and look to his son. Eye contact is an amazing thing, isn't it? You can think about being at a party where you don't know anyone. You're looking for the person that invited you. And you finally see them. And maybe you make eye contact from across the room. And your anxiety level goes from a 10 to a 0. Maybe you can think about a friend that you reconnected with over the Christmas holiday. And you hadn't seen them in a while. And it was just seeing them for the first time. That eye contact... And immediately you were reconnected. Seeing into someone's eyes is a a powerful and an amazing thing. And what God is telling Mary here, and what what he wants us to see, is that he looks on those who've been humbled for the purposes of revealing his grace to them and assuring them that he loves them. In the context of this passage, I've already mentioned that it's a patchwork of Old Testament quotations. Among them, Psalm 89, Isaiah 41. I don't have time to read them, but Mary is taking these promises of the gospel and weaving them all together. And you see that especially in verse 54 and 55 where he says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Long ago in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17, God had promised to use the offspring of Abraham to take the blessing of God to the whole world. And what he's revealing through Mary here is that this offspring has come. This offspring of Abraham has come. Through whom God would remember his mercy and bring his salvation to the whole world. One who would be called the Son of God and the Son of David and the Most High to be born through Mary. This passage is so amazing that there's actually songs that have been written about it. Um, Bach wrote a whole piece on nothing but the Magnificat because it's been a model for hundreds and even thousands of years of the humble faith that God has promised To fill and answer with joy. Deep, abiding joy. Because the amazing thing is that, you know, you might be up at 2 a.m. changing diapers. And God's promise from this passage is that he looks on you and he sees you. And it's a look of great affection and fatherly care. And he hasn't forgotten you, but is in fact teaching you the glory and the power of his joy. A deep abiding joy that we can only find in Christ. Have you ever experienced that joy? The joy of knowing that your Heavenly Father looks on you. you know, over the holidays, we, I was telling Miles about this, we hosted uh, my mama and my parents and my brother and sister-in-law, 
And their three children, they have a newborn. And of course, our two children. And we don't really have a big house. And I was tired and I was overwhelmed. And I remembered this passage that God looks on us. Uh, We don't have a whole lot. But those are the kind of people that God has caused, it says in verse 47, to rejoice in God. And we do so in the midst of tears and sadness and sickness. Because our joy is not complete, is it? We look to that day when God will fully complete our joy. When his son returns and we no longer look to him in faith, but we look to him in sight. When our prayers turn into praises. When God is revealed and we behold his glory face to face. Not at a distance, but intimately and close up. And so as we close tonight, I would just invite you to pray with me that God would help us to, in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, to remember that he is teaching us to find joy in him and that he looks on us wherever we are with fatherly care and love. Would y'all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do rejoice that you have looked upon us. We rejoice that you've forgiven us. That despite how overwhelmed we feel, you're not overwhelmed at all. And that where we might forget about you and be left in our sins, you draw us near near and near to yourself in the midst of sickness and sadness. We rejoice that your son was born and died and rose from the dead and is coming back. We look forward to that day. For our joy to be made complete. Heavenly Father, help us to hang in there and to remember that it will be worth it. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.